Green Planning and Design Commission. I am your host and chair, Daryl Lucian. We have an exciting agenda in store this afternoon. <clears throat> if you would like to speak on an item, please fill out a request to speak form. Uh, there's one located in the rear. And be sure to uh, hand it to our uh, committee, commission secretary uh, for processing, and we will ensure uh, that you will be heard uh, at the appropriate time. As our <clears throat> first item, action item that we will be taking, uh, we will uh, be calling the roll. Uh, secretary, can you please call the roll? Commissioner LaFaso? Here. Odipo Memba? Coville? Kaufman? Here. Lindsay? Here. Farrell? Here. Lucky Bomb? Rogers? Here. Juan Connolly? Here. E? Here. Ogilvy? Here. Vice Chair Lucian? Here. Chair Burke? We have a quorum. Thank you very much. Our next item, uh, item one, which is on the consent calendar, will be approval of the meeting minutes of September 7th, 2017. Uh, I will be looking for a motion in a second. second. Very good. Moved by Commissioner Wong Connolly, seconded by, I believe, Commissioner Hoffman or LaFaso. We'll just say LaFaso. <clears throat> uh, please call the roll. Commissioner LaFaso? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. Yee? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Motion passes. Very good. Thank you very much, Ms. Clerk. Uh, we will proceed to agenda item number <clears throat> uh, two, which will be uh, P17-028, Point West PUD Guidelines Amendment and Black Bear Restaurant Signage. Uh, the staff is ready. They may uh, present at first opportunity. And let me remind everyone, I do not believe we have any uh, requests to speak on this item, and there is a staff recommendation of support. Any recusals uh, on this item? All right, seeing and hearing none, uh, the staff may present. Uh, good evening, Chair Lucian and members of the Planning and Design Commission. I'm Robert Williams with the Community Development Department. P17028 is a request to amend the signage guidelines of the Point West Plan Unit Development to increase the number of signs in the SCPUD zone and for site plan and design review for three signs for the Black Bear Restaurant. The proposed PUD amendment in signage would increase the number of signs from one sign per street frontage to three signs per building for standalone single-tenant structures in the SC zone and within the Point West PUD. Staff has not received any comments on the project, and the project is not controversial. Staff recommends the commission approve the project subject to the conditions listed in attachment one of the staff report. And that concludes my presentation. The applicant and staff are available for any questions. Thank you, sir. Uh, right now we're going to uh, move to public comment. Is there, is there any uh, one that is here that wishes to comment on this item? I don't have any request to speak forms, but if you would like to comment, please do so now and complete, a, complete the form. Uh, 
Seeing and hearing no comments, we're going to move to commissioner comments, questions, and motions. Uh, we will start with Commissioner Wong Connolly. Question for staff. Um, so based on Title 17, uh, 15, uh, 0.148, um, shopping center zone, the attached sign regulation, it says two attached signs for each occupancy within the developed par uh, parcel. So why are we, what's the reason that uh, uh, we allow three for this, uh, we are revising the, the PUD for shopping center other than f to accommodate this project? So in the Point West PUD, we've had several um, variances, sign variances in the past, a request for additional signage. And right now the signage is only at one sign per uh, tenant. And so what we thought with the past history of the signage as well as with the configuration of Point West PUD, where the SC zone is, where a lot of the tenant space is kind of an island of um, parking in some areas, we thought that would be appropriate to have three signs in the SC zone only throughout the PUD. Well, if... Uh, um Well, can we, uh, or is that a good idea to uh, keep it uh, still consistent with the most current uh, building code in terms of the signs, but then just grant uh, deviation for this uh, applicant? Um, would that be a process that, uh, um, would that be good? Or, and then in the future, there are different scenarios. We can do a case-by-case -case basis, but then overall, it's still consistent with the city code instead of uh, change the code, change the guideline. It, exactly right. Well, we thought that just for this PUD, it would be, it makes sense to have the three signs. But then also, the city isn't um, doing as many variances for signage anymore. And so instead of then coming um, instead of that, then what we needed to do as a mechanism to get the signage that not only this particular applicant wants, but then the future, um, potential future um, uh, property owners or, or business owners would want, we had to amend the PUD. Okay, then uh, could you explain to me again, please? Uh, what's the reason that in this PUD, the shopping center, that uh, uh, you would uh, you think a three signs is more proper than the two signs, which is per the citywide program? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain again, and then you can ask again if I'm not giving you the answer you want, um, or, or that what you need to hear. So, if in the PUD, and I'm, if you're familiar with the area, it's the area that has like. Um, it's across the Arden Way from the Arden Mall, okay. and it has a lot of standalone businesses like El Torito, the Black Bear Restaurant, that used to be another restaurant. There's a bank there right now. There is a gas station. There is um, a jewelry store, Univision, uh, television, uh, commercial art use, and then there's also a couple other restaurants. And so we thought because in those areas there's actually like circulation around the entire building because there's parking usually on three sides and then there's the street in front. We thought if you're internally to the site, like you're actually in the um, in the parking lot, it's easier to kind of identify where you are in terms of what are these different businesses and where are they. 
But also, just in terms of our general plan policies, we have those that want that kind of support businesses, and especially along commercial corridors. So we thought that this was a good way to support those businesses by allowing signage that's not excessive um, because it is a larger area, and then also they still have to go through a site plan design review to make sure consistency with the number of signs. Um, so that is why we're choosing to uh, recommend approval for the site for this proposal. Uh, how would that be different from uh, the shopping center that uh, the code is writing? The code right now is one, uh, two signs per elevation. Um, or, I'm sorry, two signs per tenant. Right. And if it can go up to four signs if it's on a corner. Um, what we're doing, we're, we're going to allow three and up to two signs. Two of the signs can go on one elevation. So it actually would be, for the Point West area, would be more signage. Um, my question is, uh, uh, the code, uh, Title 15, um, require two signs, no more than two signs per, uh, at the shopping center. Uh -huh. So how would this be different from uh, um, the, uh, the Point West? Uh -huh. um, well, the Point West, the Point West PU is in the PUD area, and the PUD has design guidelines, and design guidelines also has signage criteria and signage guidelines as well. So do you support that uh, uh, we should uh, change the code to uh, all the shopping center, we should allow three signs? In this one, we only looked at the Point West area. But if we were to support that, I would have to look. That would be more of a comprehensive look at what are the other areas that would be affected. On this, we're kind of contained to this particular PUD area. So we would look at the other areas, um, and, but that would be more of a kind of a citywide search to see if that would be appropriate or not. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's my question. I yield the floor. Very good. Um, our next uh, speaker in the queue is Commissioner LaFaso. A um, couple questions. Uh, when there's a limitation per elevation, for all intents and purposes, does that mean a side of a building? Yes. Okay. Um, just applying this a little bit to the Black Bear example. Um, oh, actually, by the way, is there any area in this PUD that is not zoned shopping center? And if so, what are the signage rules for the parts of the PUD that are not zoned shopping center? Yes, there's uh, other zones within the PUD area, and so they'll have a different uh, criteria. And I can look that up. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I can look that up for you. Okay. Um, it's not super important. I, I recall one of my first things when I became a commissioner in 2012 was, I think, an office building sign rule for attached sides that's referenced in the staff report and I guess that was the office building piece of the development, not the shopping center piece. So anyway, I noticed that Black Bears, uh, so, so the rule, generally speaking, is uh, one and a half square feet for every one lineal feet, that meaning that if it's 100 lineal feet, the max is 150 square feet. And that tends to, so there, there's an alternative rule in the guideline amendment we have, which is, or 160 square feet, and that's the rule that the staff report applies. Whereas if I read the diagrams correctly, um, that elevation on that side of the wall, 
wall elevation is 87 feet. So it's not 1.5 times 87, which is quick math says that's about 130. It's 160. Why, why 160 and not just the 1.5 formula? So we have, because sometimes the frontage can be really uh, large, we have a maximum. So you can have that 1.5 per foot for linear foot, but it can't go 106, over 160 feet. So that way we're not getting an excessively large sign. Okay, I didn't read it to be um, okay. the, the, the lineal equation or 160 feet, whichever is less. I, maybe I missed oh, okay. that language. Okay. I read it to be either or, and I highlight it because I know that the math that's applied in the staff report to this particular applicant is the 160-foot rule. Um, I mean, that's the one that's So it's it, it yes. So in this one, where it's saying one and a half square feet per linear foot of building occupancy, or 160 square feet cumulative of all signs, so that was providing a maximum. Um, yeah. So on the other one. Really? Right I. Here. But what what if the? Uh, right, so it says. What, what if oh. the length of the building is 200 lineal feet? And 1.5 times 200 is uh, 300 square feet. Where does it say here that under that language one can't have 300 square feet? When it says A or B without reference to whichever is greater, whichever is less, it means I as the applicant get to choose which one I want. It only has the maximum if it says the equation or 160, whichever is less has to say whichever it's less in there to have that effect right because that is what the intent was because you couldn't could not exceed 160 square feet okay I'm suggesting that uh, I'm I'm revisiting my phraseology but I'm suggesting it doesn't actually say that and if city attorney wants to tell me I'm reading it incorrectly I'm happy with that but um, all I'm telling you is the application of the rule in the staff report doesn't applies it as as a minimum, not a maximum, because it's not 87 and change times 1.5. It's 160. 87 and change times 1.5 is about 130. It would be like, um, perhaps better said, would be one and a half square feet for each linear foot of building occupancy, not to exceed 160 square feet cumulative for all signs on a single facade. That means that if oh, the oh, okay. lineal feet is less than I, okay. uh, whatever's 160 I see what you mean. Right. divided by 1.5, my math is challenging. <laughs> okay. Then, then, then you have the, then it's not your, it, it means in, for all intents and purposes, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm starting to confuse myself, but it does not, I'm illustrating that your own application of the rule doesn't have a lineal foot standard less than 160 when the math calls for it. That's, okay. that's the staff's own 
application of its own rule illustrates that. So what we're looking at as three and four, so we need to make sure they're aligned. So the first, so number three is already existing, so we wanted to be consistent with that. So that means a, a one and a half square feet per each linear foot, a building, or 160, whichever is less. So you're, so I misspoke, it was whichever is less. And then what the intent was for was, was just to make sure that if a facade were to have two signs, that it's not exceeding that 160 square feet. Sorry, I went off the page to go check my math. So it gets in here? Yeah. So what we were trying to do, and we can reword it as long as we're all clear on what the intent was. The intent was for three to remain as is. But four, we wanted to allow for two signs on one facade but not to exceed what is allowed in, in, in terms of square footage of signs, what was allowed in three. The reason being is we didn't want to have like one elevation to have really kind of a really large percentage of signs. And so that is what the intent was. And so if it's not, so we we'll, looks like, because you're confused. Actually, I'm not confused. You're not, okay. No, I'm not confused I'm at so all. I'm so sorry, okay. So, but you're, but the phrasing, it sounds like, I'm, um, would, you, would you help me find the page in the staff report where it applies the actual, what is the square footage of the two signs in the application for the Black Bear restaurant on this side of the building? I recall it is 120 something. Maybe you can help me with the page. Yeah. On that page, does it say that 115 is less than 160? What does it say? Could, could you tell me what page it is, please? Oh, the code? Yeah, no, where we mentioned it. Okay. Unfortunately, if you go for the total agenda packet, which is the one that's page 17, the, uh, there's no pagination on the. It's the page that immediately precedes the page with the findings of fact. It says at the top, the two signs have a total error of 120.5. I assume that means uh, it left out the word square feet, which is consistent with the proposed code amendment that would allow up to 100 square foot per facade. That application of the rule suggests that the standard is 160, not the 1.5 lineal feet equation, which would be 100 and 
31, give or take a couple inches. So, I, again, I'm telling you that that you're you're vitiating the lineal foot equation in your standard, not only in the language by which you express it, by the but by the application of the rule in your staff report. That's what I'm telling you. So, if we were to address that, consistent with what you've in, indicated as staff's intent, we, I believe, would say. As described earlier, it's it's the lineal foot equation or 160 feet, whichever is less, such that if the lineal foot equation resulted in a square footage greater than 160, 160 would be the cap. But if the lineal foot equation yielded a product of the math that was less than 160, it would be the product of that equation. And at some point you might want to amend the staff report to indicate that, that it, this is an okay application because 120.5 is less than 131, 32, give or take. We'll make note of that. Okay. Yeah, especially when we're doing research in the future, we'll go back to that and make sure. Okay. okay. The city attorney wants to tell me I'm getting this wrong, but uh, I don't think I am. City attorney, would you care to opine? No, I think it was a, a good, robust discussion. If the uh, intent is to make clear that uh, the two alternatives cannot exceed the maximum, and it should say whichever is less. Okay. Appreciate that. Very good. Thank you. Uh, one last question. So are we still doing some kind of comprehensive amendment of the sign regulations? A long time ago, we had a review and comment on the ESC sign district that was supposed to be a precursor to sign amendments writ large, and we were talking about things like illumination, animation, and curved elevations, and those seem to be some of the key elements we were, um, that was like two or three years ago, and I can only imagine why the ESC sign district matter didn't come back to us, but since it was supposed to be the precursor, where, where are we in, sign, in modernizing our sign ordinance is the real question. Um, I know that we're still working on it, and that it is uh, one of the projects that we would like to complete, just a matter of kind of where does it, rise to the top um, but it is something we definitely would like to do um, I think it's we have some early draft form at this point but still it's going to need quite a bit of review and these kind of projects always help inform that process as well appreciate it mm -hmm. thank you thank you mr. chairman very good Commissioner Faso. our next speaker is Commissioner Ogilvy thank you um, I have a question for staff and following up, um, I think on Commissioner LaFosso's points, um, I had some questions about illumination and what the guidelines are for signs. Um, and for the PUD guidelines, it looks like the only restriction is on exposed neon lighting. I'm wondering if the city has other illumination <coughs> guidelines elsewhere. Yeah, so as you can see in the guidelines, the, the, the design guidelines include things, and this is for the entire PUD, like you have to, um, no conduit can be used, and it has to have um, lit from behind. So those are standards we use. Um, and, I, and so you're wondering, do we also use the, the citywide standards as well? Yeah. I didn't see anything about the backlighting. Point me to which... Let me see. General requirements that falls under. Oh, just the, the general guidelines. 
City Attorney, would you uh, care to jump in? Oh, if I think if I understood the question correctly, is it is the PUD design program guidelines read in harmony with the existing code? The answer is yes. If you look at the text of the sign regulations in there, it specifies that where they're read together and where the PUD is silent, the city code controls. Does that uh, answer suffice, Ms. Ogilvy, or would you, would you still like? Uh, I think so. I just need to look up the city code okay. for the signage guidelines. Very good. So then, well, I guess for this purpose, presumably we would be adding three illuminated, or adding two illuminated signs to to each potential project, which could be a lot as far as light trespass goes. But are there restrictions on? time of day or they can be illuminated 24 hours a day there's no restriction on time of day right uh, our next speaker is Commissioner Farrell I would like to move staff's recommendation we have a motion on the floor to move staff's recommendation is there a second there's a second by Commissioner Rogers. Are there any further commissioner comments or questions? I believe we have Commissioner LaFasso. Commissioner Farrell, would you accept a friendly amendment to ins insert that whichever is less language pursuant to the prior discussion? Yes. Thank you. Okay, it looks like we have a friendly amendment offered by Commissioner LaFasso. Accepted by Commissioner Farrell, the initiator of the motion, and also accepted by Commissioner Rogers, the second of the motion. Uh, do we have any further Commissioner comments or questions? Seeing and hearing none, Clerk, please call the roll. Commissioner Rogers? Aye. Von Connolly? Aye. Yee? Aye. Ogilvy? No. Farrell? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Hoffman? Aye. Basso? Aye. Mayor Lucian? Aye. Motion passes. Very good. Thank you very much. We will be moving on to item number three, uh, item or P17-017, an ordinance uh, amending, deleting, and adding various provisions of Title 17 of the Sacramento City Code relating to cannabis cultivation, non-volatile manufacturing, distribution, and testing. <clears throat> this is an ordinance and, as I understand, does not require any disclosures. However, um, if any commissioners would like to make any disclosures, now would be the time to do so. Seeing and hearing none, um, staff may present. Good evening, Chair Lucian and members of the Commission. Joy Patterson with the Planning Division. Um, the State of California with the adoption of the Medicinal Adult Use Cannabis Regulations and Safety Act in June um, gave us a clear direction in the area of cannabis regulation as the state prepares to issue licenses in 2018. So in July, um, the 
cannabis staff, so to speak, went to law and legislation, and they gave us direction on certain items that they would like to see amended in our code um, in order to enact and be ready for um, 2018. This is one of several ordinances that will come before you um, this fall. We anticipate another ordinance coming to you next month. Um, this proposed ordinance has six changes to uh, the Planning and Development Code. And also Title V will be amended in certain areas. Um, and this then will go to City Council. One is that cannabis instead of marijuana is the accepted term um, in the industry. And so we are changing. We've gone back and forth. But you are changing back from marijuana to cannabis. So this ordinance would amend um, the language in Title 17. Also, the city fire department has determined if properly regulated, ethanol can be a safe method of extraction. Our ordinance um, currently doesn't allow ethanol, so this would modify our definition to allow um, it to be a volatile sol solvent and exempt ethanol in certain cases when the fire department felt that it was appropriate. Um, distribution is currently not um, in our code. Distribution of cannabis will require a state license. The ordinance would require a conditional use permit for cannabis distribution in the C4, the industrial zones, the manufacturing research and development zone, and the manufacturing industrial park zone with a conditional use permit. It would also allow distribution in the C2 zone with a use permit, but only if there's another cannabis use on the site and it's limited to 6,400 square feet. So it wouldn't allow a cannabis distribution facility as a standalone in the C2 zone, but it would allow, say, a manufacturer who needs to distribute their product the ability to get a license to distribute their park product if they were also in the C2 zone. It also creates a new category of cannabis production, which would include cultivation, distribution, and non-volatile manufacturing. So if, there, if somebody wanted to do more than one use at a site, we could call them basically a cannabis production facility. And as part of the use permit, um, define what they'd be doing at the site instead of requiring them a separate use permit for each for distribution or for cultivation or for manufacturing. They'd be a cannabis production. It also exempts small manufacturers from conditional use permit um, requirements. So a small manufacturer would be um, uses that only are limited to packing and labeling of cannabis products. Um, ex or producing edibles or topical, so lotions, using an infusion products. Um, ex they aren't allowed to extract, and the revenue is under 100000 So basically, small businesses would be exempt from um, obtaining a use permit. They'd still be required to get their um, Title V revenue permit. 
And then it would allow cannabis testing by right if certain criteria is met. Right now, cannabis testing does require a conditional use permit. Um, everyone is, like, your cannabis protection and manufacturing facilities, in order to have a safe product, will, by state law, be required to be tested. So that's what these facilities do is they test the product. So they aren't having large quantities to manufacture or they aren't growing large quantities. They are taking samples from all of these different sites and testing them, similar to what other lab testing laboratories do in other um, processes that the state requires a product to be tested. Um, we would allow a testing facility by right if it was not within 600 feet of a school, that it complied with applicable state and local laws, and then again in the C2 zone that the testing facility did not exceed 6,400 square feet in area. Uh, where staff would recommend that you recommend approval of these proposed amendments to the Planning and Development Code and forward the item to City Council. I'd be happy to answer your questions. Thank you, Ms. Patterson, for that presentation. I believe Commissioner Yee has a question. Commissioner Yee, you have the floor. Uh, thank you. Uh, a couple questions, and I think this is based on discussions we've had on dispensaries and such. Um, well, I thought I've taken a careful read. I it could be here and I might have missed it. The only locational criteria that I see is proximity to K-12 schools, public and private, and neighborhood parks. Are there any other locational criteria from sensitive uses? So this is not changing anything on the locational criteria other than um, for testing facilities it's it's not putting it doesn't have the park in it but currently a cultivation site um, those are and a manufacturing site and a distribution site that is the locational criteria that's in the code as part of the use permit process um, the commission or the zoning administrator can look at the use at its location in general and determine, you know, is that an appropriate use without it having, you know, that there are only two quite strict so, prohibitions. So this commission then has the discretion to make considerations of over and above what this, what the criteria is that we I'd say with, mentioned. like they do with any use permit. Right. So, and, and I, 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 I'm concerned about perhaps the lack of specificity provides greater discretion for us, but also then for the applicant, greater uncertainty as to until there is a certain amount of a track record, uh, 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 less certainty as to what will be appropriate, what will be looked upon favorably. I do note that in the past there were discussions not on this particular issue, but um, over concentration. There was or there are, is a requirement for proximity from one to another on dispensaries, as an example. That at least gives us some 
considerations what over concentration might be. I see very little guide, guidance here to, to deem, uh, to, to, to arrive at a finding of over concentration. Now, with the addition of C2 zones, there are more sites available in theory, but is there not a concern for a guidance on over concentration? There is a finding currently and there's still a finding. So this isn't amending. This is only amending certain parts of the code. So, so it's not amending the part of the code that says that the hearing body makes a finding that there is not undue concentration. Okay. So that finding is still there. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Uh, we are going to yield over to Commissioner Kaufman. You have the floor. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let's go to this issue of the new category of cannabis production. So I get the idea. It makes it a little easier when you get your permit to only have to get one permit. But we may find reasons to think that an applicant should be doing cultivation but not be doing non-volatile uh, production. Are we going to be able to do that? Yes. This had part of its um, idea was right now we have people who have applied to do cultivation and manufacturing at the same site. When they come in now, they get a apply for a use permit for manufacturing, pay the fee for that use permit. They also apply for a use permit for cultivation and pay that fee. Putting them, but we take them together and evaluate them together at the same time. This is not the, so basically, there's different, um, still different categories, but it all refers to then in the code to this cannabis production, which has all of it. So in reality, it's not changing much. You're, you're still even... The, the committee way. asked for this cannabis production and putting everything into one, the ability to put it into one category. It's more of a, a, a way of, it's a different way of presenting really what we're doing now. I, I totally get that. My question is, you are could we going as part of the as part of the permit. So if you have cannabis production and they say we're going to do these things. The hearing body still has the ability to say, no, we don't think you should do this, or, or evaluate. We'd still be evaluating their, what they're doing. Ms. Patterson? We could provide, we could provide uh, an approval to an applicant under conditional use permit for cultivation activities, but prohibit them from doing non-volatile manufacturing for whatever reasons we have. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if, if I could just sort of chime in on that very same question. It seems to me that per Commissioner Kaufman's question, if someone came with a conditional use permit for production 
and any one of those components of production, whether it was non-volatile manufacturing, cultivation, or was the other one distribution, the commission found um, we were not in agreement with, then the CUP for production would basically need to be denied and they would need to reapply uh, for a lesser CUP or could that CUP for production be modified via some conditions at the same hearing I'd to say you'd be conditioning it. it. Okay, got it. Very good. Uh, our next speaker up is uh, Commissioner Juan Connolly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I have a question. I want to follow up with Commissioner Yi's question uh, about undue concentra uh, concentration. Um, so I have a question. In the C2 zone, um, the language read that uh, cannabis distribution cannot be the only cannabis production used on the site. Well, wouldn't that be um, creating concentration on purpose? Um, in the C2 zone, we limit like cannabis cultivation, cannabis manufacturing to 6,400 square feet. So in reality, we don't have that many applications in the C2 zone. It's, it's not, it's not a, it's, I'm talking it's about not a, item two. Right. No, no, I understand, but I'm, I'm telling you, first of all, we don't get that many applications for C2. The majority of our applications are in the industrial zones. So what this is allowing is for a manufacturer to distribute the product because they're, they're potentially going to have to get two state licenses. <clears throat> They're going to have to get a manufacturing license and a distribution license. If we don't allow them a distribution license, we how are they need to get it out of the building? <laughs> they need to get it. So that's that's what I understand. What's the purpose of de deliberately saying that cannabis distribution cannot be the only cannabis production used on the side? Right. What's so we're saying we don't want people who purely distribute, so we don't allow distribution centers in the C2 zone now. So if you're, they're allowed in heavy commercial and industrial zones. So, but what we're, with this amendment, what we're allowing is for a manufacturer or a cultivator that's in the C2 zone because they need to get a distribution license from the state we're going to allow them to distribute. Oh, I understand. No. So uh, you, what you, you don't want just somebody uh, only distribute. Mm -hmm. What Correct. you are trying to do is only the manufacturer can distribute. That's how you put the language Correct. here. Because there's going to be people that are going to want to just have distribution licenses. They're going to go from manufacturing, they're going to go to various manufacturers, get products, and take them to dispensaries. They're distributors. They're, they're going to go to various cultivation sites, get products. So there's just going to be use permits for distribution centers. Okay. So we don't want in the C2 zone just a distribution center. We want it associated with one another marijuana facility. Understand now. Um, thank you. 
And also, um, so in your criteria, I know that you have to make the funding that a pro, uh, proposed cannabis production will not result in undue concentration. But I, I agree with uh, Commissioner E's comments. There is really not a criteria uh, re to explain how would you make this funding that uh, it's undue concentration or not. That is something that we, we are discussing. It's not part of this ordinance. Um, so you're going to have a, a standalone criteria, uh, not written in this ordinance, but you're going to have a guideline that is standalone, not in any code? It, what I'm saying is as part of the, we as a, a staff is discussing this issue, but it's we aren't ready to come if we are going to come with something on undue concentration. So it's a good question. <laughs> so what you're saying is when you have this case, then you will bring the issue to discuss that uh, uh, it is, uh, is, what's the criteria at that time? It, when you it could applying. be, as a hearing officer, right now there isn't undue concentration because we don't have that many. I would say that the the idea of concentration may not be bad, and, but what is undue concentration? You're, you're correct. That it's, but I am not, let me say, I am not prepared to discuss that with you this evening because we are, but we are discussing that okay. as, a, as a topic. I think the city attorney has something to add. Oh, no? Okay. <coughs> No, I, I wouldn't have anything to add, but now that you, you pointed me out, maybe I'll say something. Uh, that phrase is pre-existing in the code, and what uh, Joey is trying to explain is that part of this bundle, they weren't suggesting any amendments to f further refine what that undue concentration phrase means. It exists in our code now for marijuana, and you probably recall from past cases, uh, it gets talked about in alcohol CUPs. And, and you're right, we don't have a specific definition of that. I would point out it is a specific detailed finding in addition to the regular CUP finding, so it is intended to be called out specifically and thought about. And in the alcohol context for the state, they have solved this problem for themselves by putting into their code uh, provisions about what undue concentration means for the ABC. Mm -hmm. and, and there they talk about crime statistics and uh, they also do a basically a metric that looks at the census tracts, a ratio between the alcohol establishments for the census tract in which it exists in comparison to the countywide census tract. So they gave themselves some numerical metrics to look at, uh, crime statistics and uh, um, uh, a survey basically of the of the census tract, but we don't have anything that exists right now. Part of the uh, initial intent was to give the uh, decision makers on these CUPs broad discretion to determine uh, what undue concentration might meet in a particular case uh, or what a tipping point might be in a particular area. And as Joy pointed out, concentration by itself is not the issue. You must uh, look at what undue means if a case came before you. That's been talked about in the cases. Concentration itself might not be an issue. There might not be any evidence of any secondary effects of existing CUPs for the same use in the area or any problems with it, uh, but maybe there would be that you'd have to take a look at. But what staff is telling you is they are thinking about this issue and wondering if and when they should 
perhaps make some recommendation on additional criteria that might help with that phrase, undue concentration. Oh, thank you. Um, and then a question on the cannabis production. So one of the criteria for the condition use permit is uh, the gross uh, revenue of the use is under $100,000 uh, annually. So um, my question is how do, you, um, how do you know what's their annual income and uh, revenue before they even start a business? My understanding would be and I don't know if Zara would have any more to say on this, but they're going to come in and say, "This we are a small manufacturer. We are going to have less than 100000 If And they have to report their receipts to revenue. So if they go over that, they're in violation of the code. I understand. So we'll be, as part of their revenue permit, we'll be tracking their receipts. So we'll know if they go over 100000 So you give them COP first, and then you verify. So you're after. actually, they're, they're coming in saying, we're going to, we fall in this category. And if their receipts are over 100000 then they need a COP. They're in violation. I understand now. And also, uh, between the one and the two, is there an end missing, uh, the same criteria, that uh, the use is limited to only packaging and label, labeling of cannabis or cannabis products or producing edible or topical cannabis products using an infusion process? Between this and the second, sh uh, should there be an end? And it, well, it's, you have to comply with these three then you, you would need to uh, add an end. Is that how the legal language would be interpreted? Because there is an end between two and three. Yes, if you, yeah, I guess we, an and. You mean you can have an and. It's, you have to comply with all three. That's the intent, all three. Yes. Okay. And then uh, I noticed in the definition of cannabis manufacturing, there's a new term called a chemical uh, synthesis. Uh, what's is is this uh, something new? And um, is there anybody uh, requesting a permit with this process? With the, can you repeat that? For uh, me? Chemical uh, chemical synthesis. It's in the definition of uh, cannabis manufacturing. That's next to the infusion. What page are you on? Can I ask? It's on the page 92 of the report, which okay. is uh, um, page 6 of 36. The definition of cannabis manufacturing, non volatile. Oh, okay. Yeah, down. Oh, cannabis. Can't. The, you're saying this definition, you want to know if anybody's asking for, this definition is the same definition as we have now? Uh, except that this new term is added, chemical synthesis. Uh, I don't know, my question is what, uh, what's the reason that adding this new term
You see it, Ms. Patterson? I. What am I looking for? I'm, I'm sorry. Cannabis manufacturing non-volatile means the production, preparation, propagation, and compounding of cannabis and cannabis products either directly or indirectly by extraction or chemical synthesis methods. methods. I believe Commissioner Juan Connolly is asking about chemical synthesis. That's a, a synthesis, excuse me. With or without the use of volatile salt. Um, why don't <laughs> I'll let Steve Itagaki with the city attorney's office um, answer that. Mr. City Attorney, go ahead. Yes, uh, Steve Itagaki from the city attorney's office. The, um, the definition for cannabis manufacturing non-volatile was changed to update it and um, relate to the state definitions that are currently being using. Over the past few years, through all the state legislation, they've been toying around with the definition and adding certain things and, and changing it and putting them, <clears throat> frankly, in different sections of the, the state code altogether. So this just mimics the current state definition for um, uh, manufacturing. Oh, got it. Thank you. I yield the floor. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Uh, Commissioner Lindsay, you have the floor. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I wanted to ask uh, some questions about the use of ethanol in the production of cannabis. And so it's my understanding that ethanol is, is a highly flammable material. And, this, and it states that the city fire department has determined if it's properly regulated, it's, it's safe. So so what is it in the manufacturing aspect or do they do something to the ethanol that takes the risk out of it being a volatile organic compound? I couldn't give you the specifics on that. And I'll just say, but we have, I think there are other manufacturing or other industrial areas that also use ethanol safely with fire department approval. Isn't that correct? Currently that we don't in planning don't regulate. regulate. So there are safe methods and I'm not versed on what they are. The fire department is and they and believe me they took a trip to Portland went and looked at um, facilities that use um, ethanol and did research and determined that there, in certain cases, that um, it would be okay for this to occur. I don't and know if you have anything. No. And so, it, it would, in the manufacturing process, then, is this something that the fire department would be inspecting periodically? Yes. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's if someone came in. Um, we have somebody who wants to come in as a volatile or using ethanol. Um, and the fire department has already determined like what they want to do and how they want to do it would be a safe, appropriate method. They can't apply yet because um, of this prohibition. But, and we anticipate that there, there will be others and they will look every application that comes in goes to the to fire and okay. they would be reviewing it okay well, thank you 
Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. Uh, Commissioner LaFosso, you have the floor. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, some of my questions have been in part addressed and in part not, so they'll sound a little familiar. So, but for, I think, the testing rule and the uh, ethanol solvent rule, most of what we're doing is reassembling what City Council did last year, but under a single CUP instead of separate CUPs. Is that the case? Yes. Okay. Um, a little apropos to the Kaufman-Lucian question. Um, so if I understand correctly, when a, an applicant who under the old rule would have to um, apply for one CUP for manufacturing and one CUP for cultivation, for example, um, now they'll, they'll do one application. Are they going to have to specify the uses on their application so we can, we, not just the hearing body, but staff throughout the process can track them distinctly through the, through the application process? Actually, if you want to know right now, they file one application. Okay. We, so we don't have a separate, technically a separate application. They're filling out one application now. They're describing what they want to do, if they want to do more than one. Um, we just list it as two use permits and have them, you know, pay two fees. <laughs> so it's really not that different. This really isn't that different. I, I appreciate it. I think Commissioner Kaufman asked a really important procedural question, and I think it's really, and I'm tempted when the motion comes to suggest that we incorporate this in our recommendation, because I, if I follow that instead of, say, approving the cultivation permit but denying, excuse me, approving the cultivation permit application but denying the manufacturing permit application, we instead approve the excuse me, the production application, the production application, and then either remove all the conditions that authorize uh, manufacturing or explicitly impose conditions that prohibit manufacturing. There's some form issues that you're all going to figure out. I just, I, I, I just want to make sure that it's trackable at the staff development level and it's trackable in the staff report so that if the if if if, if commissioners want to do as described that we'll all know and we won't be sitting here with silence for 13 minutes people figuring okay we got to take out b23 and b52 and c41 and d12 and and it'll be clean and it won't be that hard to do that's that's where i'm going i know i'm getting really down in the weeds here Am I making sense? Will the staff reports be clean so it's easy to amend them to restrict the uses if that's what the discretionary body wants to do? You could have an application come before you that's for a large facility, and they may ask for two types of uses. They may come before you and say, we want to build this facility, and we envision it as having manufacturing and cultivation. We don't know how much it is. I appreciate it. If I may, I moved away from the application to the staff report. 
right. in my question. Right. So it'll describe the staff report yeah. will tell you what they want to do. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm going to stop this line of questioning and I will recommend to my colleagues that we add a recommendation and so I'm going to move on to my next question. My next question is what's this? I, I for, last time I asked this question similar along these lines to you, I got mixed up between the fees for the licenses and the fees for the conditional use permit applications. And my, is this going to affect the fees? My understanding was you had to pay X amount for your CUP application for cultivation and then Y amount for your CUP application for manufacturing and whatever else. Is, are you going to sort of rejigger re the fees to make them roughly what they are? Or are my fees going to go down because I'm applying for one conditional use permit, one conditional use permit, rather than previously under the previous iteration two or three? The idea is your fee would go to one fee. Okay, thank you. A um, couple questions on uh, undue concentration. So it's on page 20. The lifting of the undue concentration standard from whatever the ordinance landed on last year. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name, Steve. Itagaki. Thank you, Mr. Itagaki. Um, since you seem to be the one most up on state law, um, do we know if the Cannabis Bureau and the Department of Consumer Affairs is going to come up with any kind of statewide undue concentration standard along the lines of what the Alcohol and Beverage Control Department does for alcoholic beverages? We don't know. They are still um, supposed to be coming up with state regulations, but they have not uh, produced any drafts yet. Okay. The last time I saw Ms. Ajax in public, she emphasized that they have so many things on their plate, they may not get everything done by January 1st, so I, I see where that's going. Um, apropos to Commissioner Wong Connolly's question on undue concentration, I think there's a bit of an alcohol analog here. So if uh, in a large uh, industrial area, um, business A has a production permit for manufacturing, business B has a production permit for cultivation, and applicant C applies for a production permit to do both manufacturing and cultivation. When we examine undue concentration, do we look at all of the cannabis businesses together, that is, four uses, or do we look at them separately, that is, see the cultivation use in the production application and see there's only one other uh, cultivation use in the, in the vicinity, and for the manufacturing use, see that there's only another manufacturing use in the vicinity? Do we apply all of the cannabis uses cumulatively, or do we only apply them as discrete uses? Right now, there aren't any particular guidelines on on that. Um, most of our applications are for cultivation. We don't have that many um, applications for manufacturing. Yeah. Just to uh, uh, apply by analogy, so say we had a, a small brewery. I believe there are Type Two ABC licenses in front of us, and we've had about four of them in my time here. And say. Down the street, there's a convenience store that has a much different kind of uh, alcoholic beverage control license. My recollection is our analysis didn't look at all of the alcohol businesses cumulatively, 
but only, say, looked at other small brewery, that is, type 2 ABC licenses in the undue concentration analysis. I see that analogy as applicable to the different cannabis uses. Can you remind me what we do now for uh, alcoholic beverage conditional use permits? Cumulative look at uses or just the specific use in question? I say, and I have Stacia chime in too, if you, but usually we look at that particular type, but I think we also take into consideration other, so if it's a use permit for, you say, a bar, use permit for off-sale, usually we're focused on that particular permit. Ms. Cosgrove, do you have anything to add? I will admit to you that I was not listening to the question. So I'll happily you... rephrase it. The, the question is to whether we look at all of the cannabis uses or by analogy in my question where we have more experience looking at all of the alcoholic beverage uses or do we look at them discreetly? In other words, do we look at the bar, the convenience store, and the restaurant together or do we just look bar to bar, convenience store to convenience store? Trans, of course, the question I'm really trying to get at is by analogy, do we look at cultivation to cultivation manufacturing to manufacturing or cultivation to manufacturing with cultivation manufacturing testing and whatever else is in the mix? I think similar to what we do with alcohol, I think you'll want to look at the specific circumstances surrounding each permit request because not each business and its operation and its conditions are going to be the same. Uh, so like, for example, with alcohol, if it's a restaurant, it operates differently from a bar license type, which operates differently from like a, a a wine tasting, which you know we technically call a bar, but it's it operates differently from you know a more traditional bar. So I think that similar to how we look at that and think about each one individually and its characteristics and what the surrounding land uses are, that you'll do that as well with with cannabis. Um, I'm hearing your answer. I, I will be perfectly candid. The circumstances follow answer is the there are no rules, just go with your gut kind of answer, and I've never been happy with that answer. But my best application of what you said in an attempt to be systematic is to say it's, it's, it's comparing use, specific uses, cultivation to cultivation and manufacturing to manufacturing, but not cultivation to manufacturing. That, that's how I'm interpreting your answer. I, I, would, I would also, though, say I don't know that you can compare totally alcohol with what's happening with manufacturing and cultivation because what's happening inside of that building when you have bars and you have restaurants you're having different clientele you're the, it's really a different situation than what's going on inside of these buildings um the, I know the, I appreciate that. I'm trying to be as systematic as I possibly can. Um, so last question on this, and then I'll move on to my last bundle of questions. So I thought Commissioner Wong Connolly sort of asked is, if you have three uses in one application, does three uses itself indicate over-concentration or undue, undue concentration? Not necessarily. But it can. That That itself could be a basis for... Uh, for the hearing body to say yes to cultivation and no to manufacturing. I think it, it depends upon the it depends upon the application and the situation and what's there, because again it's undue concentration. I don't know that we have determined 
that concentration in itself is bad. And believe me, I understand the difference between concentration and undue concentration. Um, I, I'm trying to apply rules systematically. The attorney in me likes to not be arbitrary and capricious. And the way not to be arbitrary and capricious is to be systematic and not go with your gut. Um, and I, uh, but what you're telling me is a future hearing body might decide that because there is cultivation in the next building and manufacturing in the building over yonder and we have a concentration of these things, but to add a, another cultivation would be concentration, but not undue concentration, but adding another manufacturing would be concentration that would be undue, and that would be a basis, assuming one's being systematic and not capricious, that would be a basis for granting the cultivation permit, excuse me, granting the permit with the cultivation use, but denying the permit with the manufacturing use. If you had substantial evidence to reach that conclusion, yes. And the substantial evidence could look at the cumulative uses, the manufacturing and the cultivation, all, for, all in one bundle. Okay. Uh, correct. Uh, remember, uh, when you're looking at making denials or those kinds of distinctions, it's an evidence-based determination. Uh, I understand what you're talking about, wanting to systematically set up the framework for that. But the way it exists right now, it does not constrain you in that regard. It, it defaults you to the evidence-based determination about secondary effects and other problems. Unless you were to develop some simply numerical criteria as a metric. I appreciate that. And attorney to attorney, I'm not, you apply evidence to particular rules. If the rule says you look at one box, you look at the evidence applicable to one box. If the rule says you look at all the boxes, you look at the evidence applicable to all of the boxes. It's, it's fact and law inter, inter, intersecting. So yes, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to do a pedantic sort of lawyer exercise here. But again, what's the, what's the width, what's the range of the inquiry to which I apply my evidence? And again, I'm, I'm asking this question about five different ways because there's a dearth of systematic approach here, not only in the cannabis issue, but in all of the undue concentration we do. And everybody else is asking about it. That's why I'm drilling down on it so hard. But you're, you're basically telling me that we're going to be looking at all the cannabis uses, or, we, or, or, or the hearing body can if it wants to. Yes. As you phrase it, I believe the code allows you to do that. Remember when it talks about production, it has all those subset uses. And it asks about whether the production being requested, it could be one or all three, and it could be in some relationship to those existing one or all three that results in a determination that's undue concentration based on substantial evidence of secondary effects and other problems you might perceive. But as currently structured, you could analyze it that way. Okay. I'm going to throw a Hail Mary on this one and say I hope this discussion is helpful to whomever has to develop guidelines in the future. Last question. Um, I had a similar question to Commissioner Lenzies on the, 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 what's the, the ethanol solvent. Generally speaking, do we anticipate that the fire chief will issue some sort of basic guidelines that if you do ethanol in this quantity with this amount of, you know, airflow and that kind of thing, it's okay? Or do we really imagine that every single application is going to be um, uh, routed to the fire chief and the fire chief is going to make a pure case-by-case -case basis without any kind of guidelines? What's, what's our anticipation of how well, this is every, going to work? everyone does go to the fire marshal. But again, it's the fire marshal applying everything de novo or the fire marshal applying some 
some notice guidelines that people can kind of figure out what the general rules are. You know, I got to have this much air circulation, you know, this size internal space, this limit on the amount of solvent on site, that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask Steve, do you, were you part of any of that or? My impression is that uh, since the industry is so new and the machinery that they're using may be uh, unique, um, that there's probably not a set standard that the fire marshal can put on <clears throat> all of the ethanol manufacturing machinery or spaces. So they would be doing it on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. I appreciate that. I will say I think this industry is uh, uh, innovative and active enough that they may do their best to offer some viable guidelines and get the fire chief to uh, adopt them. But uh, that's, uh, again, this is, this is what we do these public hearings for. So uh, thank you for your indulgence of my questions, Mr. Chairman. Bye-bye. Thank you, Commissioner LaFasso. Commissioner Kaufman, you have the floor. I, I want to second the comments that, Chair, that Commissioner LaFasso has made. There are times when it, it behooves us to be constrained with some reasonable guidelines as opposed to having to look on a case-by-case -case basis, application by application, uh, because we do not want to be arbitrary, and these are um, significant issues. We want to be fair to applicants, and um, the more we do case-by-case -case, um, analysis like that, the harder that is to do uh, in, a, in a body of this size, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, secondly, I want to persist on the line of questioning that Commissioner LaFasso gave up on. <laughs> uh, I do not want to be giving entitlements through conditional use permit <clears throat> for cannabis production for somebody that only wants to do one function. I understand the convenience for them of doing that, but I can see, if I were an applicant, I would apply for a cannabis production CUP. I might only have intention originally to do um, cultivation. But now I see I've got some entitlement of value. I might not know anything about non-volatile uh, production. But now I've got an entitlement. I might want to do that. Well, that's great for them. And like any other business, we want to help people do business here in town. But I'm not really inclined to, to have that be um, ill-defined at the beginning. So my inclination in looking at an application like that, if somebody comes in with cultivation, I'm going to say I think they should get their cultivation permit, but they should be prohibited from doing anything else on that site which kind of defeats the purpose of, of what you're after here. Um, so you do need to give that some thought because January is really not far away. And um, we could defeat by the discretion that we have the efficient ends that you're seeking here with this. So you need to give some thought to that before, before it really goes anywhere else. Um to, to answer, though, we have applications in now. That when an application comes in, it may not be, the applicant may not be intending to cultivate at all. The applicant could be the property owner who will then be, 
who's getting a use permit for their site for cultiv- just say for cultivation, they aren't going to cultivate. They may get it for a 50,000 square foot building and then sublease it out to five different cultivators who are getting B permits. So we're looking at the site as a cultivation site. So you have to always remember you aren't giving it. Let's see, Ms. Harrison, that's not correct. What you're looking at it is, is a cannabis production site that could do several different things. Yeah. So they may, so, uh, right, but I'm also saying, but we also have people who come in and say, we want to do cannabis cultivation and production, we're, but we don't know which ones are we're going to, we want the ability to, if this space is better for manufacturing, we want, we want to have a manufacturer go there. I'm not, I, I honestly, it might not be particular. They might get a use permit for manufacturing and then go out and get a t- manufacturing tenant to go into the site. So the specifics, they still have to meet all the conditions of approval. They have to meet all the conditions of their revenue permit. That suffice, Commissioner Kaufman, or do you want to think about that a little bit more? I mean, what's going to happen is we'll see applications, and we'll decide what we're going to do. And um, if somebody's uh, an applicant and has some idea that they're going to get a cannabis production CUP, and they don't seem to have any potential tenants that have expertise and a track record that may be important to us, in giving a conditional use permit to do something that is safe, um, we may not approve it. Or we may possibly approve it, um, and it may create more complications concerning the number of approvals that we may have in a given area concerning undue concentration, even if they don't use it or not. So there's a lot of issues. See, I'm, I'm just feeling like we're caught between having an applicant be specific about what they want to do and what they're capable of doing and what they can prove to the relevant city agents that are going to review their application and um, being fair uh, to potential applicants and being um, supportive of business in this community. Um, I, I just feel like this will catch us in the middle of that. What else to say about it? Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Uh, Commissioner, you have the floor. Thank you. Um, Let me begin by confessing that the last two conversations have left me a little puzzled. So let me perhaps ask in a different, excuse me, maybe a slightly different way. There is a single application for a conditional use permit. That application may cover multiple activities, cultivation, testing, what have you. Is that correct? An applicant may come in. We have applicants that come in for cultivation. We have applicants that come in for cultivation and manufacturing at the site. So 
at the time of the application, the applicant then needs to identify the activities that he is seeking the conditional use permit for. Correct. While there may be one conditional use permit process, there could be multiple activities covered by that conditional use permit. Yes. Okay. So it is up to the applicant to decide which ones, one, two, all perhaps, that uh, he is seeking under that single <laughs> conditional use permit, correct? Correct. Their, their application could be specific, very specific. They could come in with an application that's not as specific. Well, I think non-specific, they still need to list all of the activities they want covered by the conditional correct. use permit. So it is multiple uses, and they may have more uses than they ultimately would be implementing or, or acting upon, but they need to identify the uses. Yes. When the staff report then um, is prepared, and let's say there's more than one use, would the conditions of approval be separate for one use, a separate set of conditional, uh, conditions of approval for another use, or are they all going to be jumbled together, the conditions of approval? Are they specific to individual uses? They, if they needed to be specific for the particular, like if you, you're going to say something this unique is, about one use versus another, will the conditions could, then be specific to the use, to each use? Yes. Okay. Because what I thought I heard in the discussion was that we, if it's not specific to a use or to each use, we may not be able to adjust the conditions specific to that use. But, but what I'm saying is it, they could be really specific, say you can only have 10,000 square feet of cultivation at this site and the remainder of the site has to be in manufacturing. Or it, it depends upon, it, it may be you have a 30, we have a 30,000 square foot building and they are doing cultivation and manufacturing and maybe they want the flexibility to um, decide what that square footage is going to be and the hearing body determines that yes that's appropriate we have this site it's going to have cultivation and manufacturing the manufacturing probably has would have specific conditions related to um, manufacturing have to meet certain and it may not even be as part of the use permit, but as part of the building permit also, they're going to need to have specifics. So I, I understand. I, do, I think in order to keep it flexible, maybe we do not want to tie square footage to a particular use, but I certainly think that we can tie conditions to each use. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's okay. I am clear on that. Second, uh, hopefully this is not too far in the weeds, it is getting along. This issue of non-volatiles in the fire department and all that, uh, there is the billing code, which the fire department can rely on. Certain, certain products can or cannot be stored within certain quantities and be considered to be one type of occupant use versus another. I think there is guideline, despite this classification of volatile, not volatile, 
there are still guidelines within the building code which says that given this chemical, if you have this much in storage, you have these conditions from which you need to house that particular chemical. If you exceed a certain quantity or whatever, then you're in a different classification. So I don't think it is, if I heard the comment or concern correctly, I don't think it is totally up to the fire department to determine uh, the criteria from which these chemicals can be stored or handled or whatever. I think there is some guidance from which the fire department can then use to create its conditions or what have you. And, and I'd say you're correct. And to say also as part of these use permits, all the uses are required to meet with, go to the building department to get a change of occupancy. And they look at their at what they're doing at oh. the site also, and, and making sure what they do is meets meets building code. Well, again, I don't want to belabor the point, but within any particular area, there could be multiple occupancies also. Yeah. So I, I think just hopefully that clarifies a bit this dilemma of what the building what the fire department can do within certain guidelines, and there are guidelines for that. Okay, so thank you, I yield. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Uh, I wanna remind those in the audience that if you wish to speak during public comment that you uh, should complete a request to speak form. There are quite a few in the back of the chambers and to submit those to the commission secretary here up front. Uh, our next speaker is Commissioner LaFaso. Commissioner, Commissioner Fossil, you have the floor. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, I'm gonna be brief. I. Uh... I actually really appreciate you bringing up the issue of public comment because I just wanted to make sure we were not there yet and it was not timely to make a motion because I'm interested in resolving this uh, staff report design issue as an instruction and uh, I will yield hoping we go to public comment so we can get to that phase of the hearing. Thank you, sir. Very good, Commissioner. Uh, we are now going to start our public comment process. We have approximately two speakers who are seeking to speak on this item. I will call first uh, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Kelly. Mr. Kelly, please come to the front. Uh, you will have two minutes to uh, provide your comments. Three minutes to provide. It's your lucky day. Three minutes. Provide your comments, sir. Uh, please uh, proceed. Uh, well, thanks for seeing me, members of the council. Um, I'm from Georgia. I'm from Georgia. I moved here about two and a half years ago, and I just recently moved to Sacramento in July. It's a lovely city. Um, I really appreciate everything that you guys are doing here, um, except for when I look around, I see the gentrification going on, and I can only imagine what's happening in the cannabis industry when it comes to that. So I am requesting that you guys... Uh, put a hold on processing or approving any applications with cannabis until there's some type of equity program put in for uh, the melanated population here. Um, because um, a lot of people can't afford those, uh, those conditional use permits, application fees, and so forth. And they're non-refundable. And if you're not chosen, then you have to up, reapply, and a lot of people don't have that money. I'm on. I'm 
an entrepreneur, but I'm also a patient. So I'm on a fixed income as well. But I know how to grow. I, I got the education about it, and I want to be successful. I want to empower myself. Um, so what I do is use the space that I have because I can't afford a big facility. So I turn my home into an office, okay? So where I'm at is where I conduct my business. Um, and so until I can get a grant or something like that, um, these conditional use permits should, um, what I'm saying is blocking um, the on-site consumption because if I'm using my house as a business and I have a private club, my, my membership, my members are, you know, not a public. They're, they come to where I am. You know, I'm thinking that you guys are, you know, I'm like, you want to talk about sales and all like this. I'm like, well, it comes with their membership, you know. Um, so it's like it's just blocking me from doing commerce um, with all of this big cannabis stuff. So I'm thinking like there need to be some type of equity so that there's some type of grants or scholarships where everybody can compete. Um, I was talking about, I want to also talk about the amount of plants. Sacramento says you all guys are restricting um, the amount of plants to be cultivated to six plants only, no matter what a person's recommendation is. Mr. Kelly, you have 15 seconds. Okay. Um, I want to, you, that's all. I'm, I'm going to close there. Thank you, uh, Mr. Kelly. Um, we have uh, another gentleman who was requested to speak during public comment, Mr. Brannon. Mr. Brannon, can you please proceed to the dais? And you will have three minutes as well. Uh, you may begin. Thank you, Council. I represent the Sacramento Cannabis Manufacturing Association, and I am really excited about the prospect of adding alcohol to the list because uh, as far as consumers are concerned for the marijuana industry, there are dozens of products in kind of si slightly similar, uh, you guys talked about how it is almost similar to the alcohol industry. It, as far as the manufacturing, it is not really comparable, but as far as the imbibement, it is. There are, depending on the product, some people like oils, some people like concentrates, some people like the vapor uh, pens. There are so many different varieties and variations which will cause a lot of diverse business opportunities for Sacramento. And that is possibly one of the reasons that they are wanting to be able to go case by case at the beginning. And it may seem chaotic in the beginning, but I do believe that through the chaos, you will be able to find plans and be able to start identifying that, oh, these people can be treated in uh, cataloged into this uh, method. And uh, alcohol is a great step on that uh, first ability because instead of just using this straight, rigid, only CO2 machine method, it's at least adding variety. And that will really help Sacramento out a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Brannon. Uh, is there any more public comment, requests for public comment? I believe we have one uh, coming up. You can come up right now. Please state your name. And you have uh, three minutes as well. Hi. Sorry for the late notice. My name is Graylin Wright. I'm with Loader Construction. Uh, on the 
undue concentration, which I know we've beat, I'm beating a dead horse, but we have been approached by multiple developers from outside this area who want to move in and consider developing large 20-plus acre plots of land with the idea of creating a cannabis campus, you know, with many different uses on it. But with the uncertainty regarding the undue concentration, uh, it's somewhat discouraging. I just, I just wanted to put that out there as a somewhat of an impetus, impetus for making this decision and providing some sort of guidelines so that we're not turning away business just by our lack of clarity. I yield. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, seeing and hearing no other public comments, the public comment period is now closed. We will now move to uh, commissioner questions, comments, uh, and motions. And if I may ask my colleagues, I, I did want to hold some of my questions uh, until after um, public comment. Um, but you, you may queue up as you wish um, in, in whatever, whatever order you desire. Uh, I think the first question that I had um, Miss um, Patterson primarily was in relation to the production, and I, I know we've we've gone over that a lot, but I, I, I guess my my the most basic question I had is generally, what is the purpose of the creation of that new category? I mean, what what is what was the Law and Ledge Committee or what is the staff hoping to accomplish? Because it seems to me that. There's already one application, um, so we're not. It doesn't seem like we're streamlining much of the process. Um, it's you mentioned that it would be one combined fee, but you did not specify whether that fee would be the sum of two or three CUP fees, or whether it would be equivalent to uh, one CUP fee, for that matter. care to chime in. The purpose of it was it was a recommendation from Law and Ledge and it was for streamlining fees. Okay, so it's primarily to streamline the fees. <clears throat> right, they um, felt that this was a way to do that. Okay. So we're attempting to streamline the fees by creating this sort of omnibus category um, that includes three different types of um, marijuana activities or cannabis activities, cultivation, distribution, and non-volatile manufacturing. Um, but again, and I won't belabor this point, it seems like there are also implications on process um, as the in, the approval process as well so that uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around guess, that but I guess I would say there really isn't any difference in the approval process other than we're now only going to charge them one fee if somebody comes in now and wants to do manufacturing and cultivation they tell us they fill out one application their description talks about what they want to do. We evaluate it as one 
project, but they pay two fees. So we can approve a either one of two scenarios, or maybe there's another scenario I'm missing, but we can approve a cannabis production CUP with conditions that eliminate manufacturing and distribution um, in one setting, and they have that approval for cannabis production. As right now, you could, if we listed as two use permits for the same site, you could deny the one use permit and approve the other use permit. If it's all one use permit that does multiple things, you could condition it where you didn't allow the one and allowed the other. Understood. Okay. Um, I think the, the next question that I had was concerning cannabis testing. So we, we have, I believe, in the statute that is, or the ordinance that is before us, um, there's a prohibition on, uh, I believe it was production within 600 feet of a school and 600 feet of a park. Um, I believe I read that for testing, the 600-foot prohibition is presented in here primarily because it's statutory. Um, but the 600-foot uh, distance from a park is not presented um, in the language surrounding testing. Was there any particular reason or rationale for that? Staff kept in the 600 feet from a school because we still believe that will be state law. Right. I, I just said that, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, the 600 feet from a neighborhood or community park is our local regulation. Mm -hmm. um, staff didn't feel that for the testing facility that it was really needed for a, for a laboratory. Um, so that's staff re staff's recommendation that it isn't needed. That's why it's not included. Okay. Uh, I believe other than that... Um, to address the, the, uh, the comment that we received from um, our uh, Mr. Kelly, who had uh, commented on equity and fees, um, would you would you more or less, based on this new classification of production? Um, might you suggest that perhaps um, the streamlining of the fees, um, which will ultimately be less, might uh, be a, a reducing a barrier to entry for this, um, for cannabis production or, and all of its affiliated activities? This, the fees for um, the use permit are still going to be, you know, fourteen to thirty thousand dollars, depending upon whether you're going to um, the zoning administrator or the commission. However, the exemption of small manufacturers um, eliminates the need if somebody was into, if you had a small manufacturer. 
they wouldn't have to come in and get a use permit. So that's reducing a fee for them and allowing them to go straight to revenue to get um, their business permit. And I think that in Title V, isn't it, Steve, it's tiered. So then there's going to be tiered. The council will be considering tiered manufacturing permit fees. Good. Okay. Those are all the questions that I have uh, right now. Uh, again, Commissioner, questions, comments, and motions. Uh, Commissioner LaFazzo. Thank you. Uh, just a housekeeping note that uh, I've been struggling with this. I keep finding myself the last person in the queue, and I can't push my button. I uh, haven't played with the device, but I think if when a queue is done, if you uh, hit whatever that button is next speaker, you clear the queue. And Anyway, I haven't looked at that thing for a while. That's not important for now. Um, Comment, a question, and then a motion. Uh, thank you for your comment about the building code, Commissioner Yee. I, I knew there was something that would bring order to that issue. Um, I forgot to ask you, Ms. Patterson, um, just as an overview, where, where are we on the big picture? So last year during or when the council was debating the various ordinances, there was a moratorium. They arrived at some results, and I believe they lifted a moratorium, and that's when all the applications uh, uh, started coming in. Um, I got the sense that when we're bringing the cannabis industry above ground, we still have this period where they can continue to do what they're doing until the application process is complete. Where, where are we in that process? You mean as far as there are people cult who are out cultivating? And For example, yes. Okay. So if they were registered they had to, and they were cultivating, they had to apply for their use permit and their business permit by June 30th. And if they did that, then they were allowed to continue to cultivate while they went through the use permit process and then get their business permit. So all of those people are who are have applied for their permits and they're going through the process. So we do have people cultivating, um, out there who none no business permits have been issued yet okay so if you've if you've been engaged in one of these activities and you want to continue to do it pending the application process you'd need to have filed by the end of june otherwise if you're a new entry you can't start engaging in the activities until your permit's complete right okay so the new per, the new applications that we're getting um people are not cultivating appreciate that okay manufacturing um, thank you very much. Very helpful. Um, I'm going to move the staff recommendation with uh, an addition to address the question that I believe the chair, commissioners Kaufman, Yee, and myself have been drilling down on. And that would be, and apropos to a discussion we had in January about recommendations to council, I would like this language to be transmitted as verbatim as possible, assuming it's adopted. And that would be uh, the commission recommends the, the draft submitted by law and ledge for approval to the council, that part I don't care about, but with uh, recommendations that uh, applications be analyzed and staff reports be prepared such that uses that are not applied for are expressly excluded from approved, con from approved conditional use permits and that staff reports be uh, developed in such a manner 
that discrete uses are separate and distinct so that uh, the hearing body has the ability to consider and adjudicate each use separately as part of the combined production application. And uh, I yield, Mr. Chairman. We have a motion on the floor by Commissioner LaFaso. I believe we have a second from Kaufman. Commissioner Kaufman. Clerk, call the roll. Commissioner LaFaso? Aye. Kaufman? Aye. Lindsay? Carroll? No. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. E? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Mr. Lucian? No. Motion passes. Very good. Thank you, uh, Ms. Clerk. Uh, we are moving on to public comments and matters not on the agenda. Do we have any public comments on matters that are not on the agenda? Seeing and hearing none. We will be moving on to members' comments, ideas, questions, meetings, and conference reports. We have Commissioner Yee. Uh, thank you. Um, I think there was a lot of, I don't want to necessarily speak about the last uh, application, but there's a lot of discussion. I've always been curious how much of this discussion is transmitted or contained in the staff report to council. Is it a summary? Is it just a recap of the of the motion and the vote? How much substance of what we have said, what we have questioned, our concerns are embodied in, in the report to council? Bosgrove? Staff doesn't do a a verbatim transcription of the comments, but rather a summary of what the primary issues or recommendations of the commission were. Okay. So to the concerns that you've heard a number of times, uh, that will be summarized in some fashion. Yes. And then I would assume that if, a council, if it strikes the interest of a council member, they then will follow up with staff as to dig a little deeper into it. That's correct. But the essence of the conversation will be made known to them. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner LaFaso, you have the floor. Thank you. Uh, I really queued up because there's something I'm going to say about Commissioner Yee after we adjourn. Um, after that, uh, just uh, since I did drill down on this point in January, uh, Mr. Heron did say that if the motion contained a direction of explicit language, staff would entertain that. And please note the motion contained that. Now, all that doesn't include all of the discussion we had. So, you know, what I say isn't. Is, is modestly additive to what you said, Commissioner Yee, but uh, uh, yes, the discussion was very important. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. Commissioner Ogilvy. Following up on Commissioner Yee's question, the um, summary that goes to council, is that part of their council report that's open to the public? Right, it's included in the staff report that's posted uh, to the public. 
Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvy. Um, I think I would just finally conclude by um, suggesting generally, I, I certainly appreciated the line of, um, of commentary and questioning, I think by all of my colleagues, uh, especially concerning over-concentration and you know, we've expressed a desire previous times to uh, be very systematic about uh, and, and uh, more predictable about uh, the way that we approach this issue. Um, but a as of now, even, even with this, this, um, this latest uh, ordinance that we have just heard, um, we are still going to be, in my opinion, uh, making decisions on a primarily but not completely ad hoc basis. And so I, I, I look forward to, uh, or my, my tenure of service is complete, um, eventually, hopefully someday, drilling down into this issue uh, and uh, sort of debating a definition of undue concentration, whether or not it's adopted, um, but just so that we uh, can really begin to wrap our minds around what it might look like. And with that, I see no other comments, so we are officially adjourned. Happy birthday, Commissioner. Show at the same time in sync. There doesn't appear to be a second on that. So I guess we will not. <laughs>